I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. One of the challenges of treating traumatic injuries and degenerative conditions is while there are therapeutic proteins that can promote repair, they can be difficult to deliver to the site of damage and get them to stay there long enough to provide benefit. Theradaptive has developed platform technology that enables it to produce variants of recombinant proteins that can bind to the surface of implants, devices, and injectable carriers to allow for precision delivery anywhere in the body. We spoke to Luis Alvarez, CEO of Theradaptive, about the company's platform technology to produce recombinant proteins that bind to materials, the broad applications for the technology, and how the roots of the company go back to a need he saw during his service in the Iraq War. Lewis, thanks for joining us. Danny, thanks for having us. We're going to talk about tissue damage, Theradaptive, and its efforts to control proteins in the body to get it to regenerate. You've got a, a PhD in bioengineering from MIT, but you also are a West Point grad and you served in Iraq. I wanted to start with your experience in a war zone and how that led to your work today. W- what happened? Well, Danny, the uh, interesting thing about uh, the conflict in Iraq is that it uh, really saw the emergence of new types of uh, threats that led to new types of uh, injuries. And a lot of service members were, uh, uh, you know, had their lives saved through latest uh, medical technologies available, but uh, ended up suffering extremity injuries, the legs and and the arms. And um, one of the consequences of this is that many service members had delayed, you know, amputation. And that's a problem where uh, the tissue of the limb cannot regenerate. So that was the first indication that there was an unserved uh, medical need uh, coming out of that conflict. You mentioned delayed amputation. This is when a a service member may return home after an injury with their limbs intact, but they later require amputation. Why is that? What happens? Uh, That's right. Uh, So uh, normally if uh, a limb can be salvaged and... uh, and uh, the patient is not uh, immediately at risk of having an amputation, what can happen is after some amount of time, uh, the bone, for example, may not heal properly. And so they're left with the choice of either keeping their limb but remaining bed or wheelchair bound, or the physician will come to them and say, we can amputate your limb and we could fit you for a prosthetic and you'll be able to walk again. So that's a, a very uh, you know stark choice to have to make as a young service member. Beyond the type of war injuries you're talking about, there are many people who suffer from debilitating conditions as a result of a loss of tissue function. What's the need Theradaptive is addressing and what's the opportunity? 
Right. So they're uh, one of the most common injury types, uh, really not, not just coming out of combat, but also uh, just in everyday lives that results from industrial accidents or car accidents. Um, and in the elderly is when they break a bone, uh, either through trauma or through some type of fall, uh, the bone will not heal. And uh, that failure to heal is basically an inability of the body to regenerate tissue. So the technology that Third Adaptive has developed actually allows physicians to go in and place a relatively small implant uh, that will regenerate the bone and uh, you're, you're able to have the function back. So it's this idea of targeted regeneration of uh, bone tissue that uh, is the core of what we're doing. And we can extend that now to other types of uh, tissues. One of the challenges, traumatic injuries and degenerative conditions is that while it can produce proteins that would promote growth and regeneration, delivering them is a whole nother issue. What does it take to get biologics to the areas of injury where they need to go and get them to stay there? And how big a problem is that? Uh, well, Danny, this is a holy grail problem, really, in uh, the area of therapeutics. Uh, proteins are relatively small you know, compared to all the other um, uh, bits and pieces of the body, and they're free to uh, roam around and enter the circulation. So it's hard to, uh, you know, once you've made a protein, if you're going to inject it into a space or, or somehow place it somewhere, um, there's nothing keeping it in place. So within a few minutes or hours, it actually leaves that area. So uh, we developed a technology which lets you uh, engineer the protein so it stays where you put it, stays put, uh, and it sticks to the implant almost like a paint so that you can have all the benefits of that protein uh, but have the precision of where it's being placed because you know it's not going to go anywhere. Once you manufacture a protein, how big a challenge is it to then code a, an implant or a, a device? So the uh, work to make it code an implant or device actually happens before you make the protein. So we redesign proteins in such a way that um, the the new variant that we make, the new version of that protein, actually is uh, sticky to the material that we want uh, to target in the implant. So once you make uh, the protein, you simply dip it into the uh, solution which contains the protein. The protein will coat the implant automatically uh, in a few minutes. So the process of coating is easy. Really, the hard part is in the uh, design of the protein to re-engineer it to, to stick to that material. And and does that modification to the proteins that you make alter the behavior of the protein in any way from a biologic point of view, or is it just a matter of allowing it to adhere to to a substance? That's a great question, and that's one of the things that we uh, actually screen for, which is we make sure that any modification does not uh, alter or reduce the function of the protein biologically. Um, if anything, what it ends up doing is enhancing the, the activity, but only locally. Once you code a device, does it require any special storage? How long does the protein remain active? So we have done a number of studies with different proteins uh, that have already been coded onto a device, and we can get very long uh, stability. So room temperature, shelf, stable um, uh, coatings that will last uh, out to beyond two years. So it's very easy to keep an inventory of these in a hospital, for example. Um, and it's a, it's a very stable way of keeping the protein active is to actually load it onto the surface. It's one of the, uh, the side benefits that we discovered along the way. That's, that's really interesting to hear. Does, does that alter the kind of shelf life of protein by 
making these other changes to the the molecule? It does because you know most proteins are uh, formulated either in a liquid or they're uh, you know freeze dried, um, and those uh, other uh, storage conditions um, leave the protein vulnerable to inactivation through a number of uh, other mechanisms. But when you bind it to a surface, it's essentially uh, sequestered or protected uh, because it's bound to a surface and it's not floating around in a in a solution. Is there any way to control delivery from a coded device? How do you determine dose and how lasting is the benefit? Yeah, great questions. Uh, so actually, the the control of dosing and delivery rather uh, is easy because the device is uh, already uh, fixed in its uh, shape or form. So if it's a spinal implant, for example, or a lead product is a spinal implant, it's actually a, uh, a material that gets placed between the vertebrae. So that material is not going to escape from there. So you know exactly where that's going to go. Uh, and the same is true for our, uh, let's say, cancer therapeutics. Uh, we formulate uh, particles that are just big enough that they will not leave the area where you inject them. So you know, uh, in terms of delivery, that you're going to have uh, persistence in that location. As far as dosing, we're able to load very accurately because we calibrate the amount of protein and the time it takes to load. So the FDA has actually had great interactions with us on the uh, consistency of our dose uh, loading onto these implants. Theradaptive's expertise is in protein engineering. Is the expectation that you'll partner with device and implant makers, or are you planning to develop the full product on your own? Uh, so we uh, uh, have programs that are fully you know, in-house, and we are advancing those uh, at full speed. Uh, we do, however, already have a couple of uh, uh, collaborations with device makers who are interested in uh, upgrading existing products that they have, implants and devices, with the uh, protein coating that we develop. So we do both uh, types of activities, and we're very open to collaborating and expanding uh, opportunities with other, other companies who want to uh, take an existing implant or device and upgrade it with our technology. Well, let's talk about your lead experimental product, OsteoAdapt, which uses AMP2, a, a modified version of bone growth factor, BMP2. What is the role of AMP2, and, and what have you done to modify BMP2? Right. So BMP2 is uh, the most uh, powerful uh, bone-inducing protein known to scientific literature. And uh, we uh, took that molecule and actually improved its performance by uh, making it um, adhere to implant materials that are usually used in the spine, in orthopedics, and in dental. So uh, we, over a couple of different um, years, uh, engineered BMP2 into this new form called AMP2, which is a theradaptive uh, proprietary molecule. So now we have produced uh, products in spine, uh, orthopedics, and dental all based on that same molecule. And our lead in spine is actually a combination of AMP2 with a, um, a uh, fluffy material, which almost behaves like cotton, which is placed in between the vertebrae in the spine to form bone. And uh, that brings about what's called fusion, which resolves uh, degenerative disc disease and lower back pain. So that is our lead product uh, right now going into the clinic uh, later, later this year. Osteoadapt, as you mentioned, is a spinal fusion implant. How would it be used? 
So uh, physicians would uh, use it in uh, spinal procedures by basically placing uh, the material inside of what's called a, a cage. A cage is uh, usually a block of metal, titanium, or uh, a polymer that is inserted between uh, vertebrae and the lower back to give you a little bit of space that alleviates uh, compression of the nerve, which is what causes lower back pain. Um, but what happens is that the insert, the osteoadapt insert, actually induces a vertebrae to make bone. So you form bone between two vertebrae, and that immobilizes the two uh, bones together, achieving what's called a fusion. And that fusion is what gives you permanent relief from degenerative disc disease and pain. Does the use of that product change the procedure in any way? Uh, no, it fits into the existing uh, workflow for uh, all of those procedures, so there's no modification. Physicians today use uh, cadaver bones and other uh, things to put into that space. What we're doing is simply offering them uh, something much better placed into that space. So there's no change in procedure. In fact, it may actually uh, shorten the uh, operating room time slightly because our material does not require any preparation like uh, some of those other materials. You've done animal studies to date and, and reported results earlier this year. What's known about osteoadapt? So osteoadapt has actually beaten uh, the standard of care in all uh, 20 or so uh, animal studies we have done. Uh, those include large and small animal studies in both spine, um, orthopedics, and um, it really has uh, completed essentially every single study required uh, by the FDA before we start human studies. So we've uh, cleared all the safety studies as well as the efficacy animal studies. And does the combination of the product pose any regulatory challenges for TheraAdaptive? Do you pursue an individual approval on a combination therapy or do your proteins need approvals on their own? Uh, great question. So the FDA regulates uh, this product for spine uh, as a combination product. So you obtain approval on the combination. There's no need to get approval separately for your protein. And what's the development path forward? Uh, so it's a path that uh, you know those in the industry uh, describe as the PMA path or pre-market approval. Um, so the FDA designated uh, osteoadapt a class three medical device combination product. So that involves uh, the standard uh, clinical studies, um, which are usually uh, much smaller than the ones which would be required for a biologics uh, application. So we we actually benefit from the fact that we are classified and going down our a, a device combination pathway versus the biologics pathway. Is there a, an expected time frame to get to market if all goes well? Sure. So if, um, if we stay on the schedule that we have uh, been following to date, uh, we would begin our clinical studies uh, later this year. Um, and some something like 36 months is when uh, we would be wrapping up our uh, phase three. So commercialization would follow after that. So call it uh, four years from now. The company has raised a little bit more than $17 million to date. How far will existing cash take you, and what's the plan for raising additional capital? Uh, well, it's uh, great news, actually. We were able to raise additional capital from the DOD, so now it brings us to uh, actually $24 million from the Department of Defense alone um, to fund clinical trials. 
And um, we are raising now, uh, really closing out the remaining part of a, a Series A, which will take us to the end of 2023. And uh, we are starting to have conversations for a Series B raise, which we would uh, begin um, entertaining uh, in the third quarter of 23. Luis Alvarez, CEO of Theradaptive. Luis, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Danny. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.